presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I love coaching this football team. I love coaching those players in there. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. It is Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, which dropped this morning at 6 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 a.m. Get the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you locally by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports book along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Jeff Mosher from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast is here. We have a lot to dive into as the Eagles get ready for the Baltimore Ravens. Doug Peterson speaking today as we uh, look ahead to that. A couple things to get on from the game against the Steelers as well. And Jeff, obviously, everybody uh, yesterday was really, you know, Jim Schwartz getting grilled about that final play. Did we learn anything about that final play? Has there been some sort of consensus as to what happened? It seemed that everybody was tap dancing around it. All right. I don't think Jeff heard me, or maybe he is not connected. He sounded like we had him at the beginning of the conversation, and then he just kind of went away. Funny how that happens. Yeah, Modern technology. 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 We we claim it's amazing, and then we struggle. Sometimes it's great, and other times it's not so good. I heard him uh, right before we came on. His dog was barking. He yep. was yelling at somebody to get out of the room. Yep. And then all of a sudden he wasn't there anymore. But uh, we'll get his thoughts on that because obviously they talked a lot about that on the Inside the Birds podcast and got some sourced information about, you know, hey, what's supposed to happen in that spot? I know Schwartz is saying what he wants to kind of spin out there. I didn't even think that Schwartz even spun anything. I think he just talked around in circles. Well, that's exactly what he did, and that's exactly what most coaches do, though, no? Uh, For the most part, but you would say, like, hey, you know, this is the play we called. They called us kind of in a bad spot. He said, no, we called the right play. Ben just beat us. He almost took a shot at Doug Peterson for the timeout stuff, and then he also took a shot at whoever built this roster together when asked about what's going on with the linebacker position. Well, I think that's something that we really need to get into a little bit deeper. You know, how much say did Jim Schwartz have? Is he? I said this a couple times. I think Schwartz is at the point now where I'm just going to keep playing Geary because he's what you gave me. At first, I thought that that was a little ridiculous just thinking, come on, because he's hurting himself, right? This is possibly his job on the line. Does but he at care? The, at the same time, I, I can't just throw it out in but the you trash. You get to a point where these guys make a ton of money. He gets fired. He has a lot of money. Is he like, you know what? I could use a year off. I could use a change of scenery. I feel like in the world we live in now, especially in professional sports, Guys just pop up. He's going to pop up somewhere. You know, if Jim Schwartz got fired, he was in the league office for a year before he came back. So let's bring Jeff Mosher in now, get his thoughts on uh, what he hears uh, and what you know, because Jim Schwartz danced around that question about what happened on that play. Peterson didn't really want to discuss it. McLeod said stuff. I mean, I don't know that anybody got a chance to talk to Geary, but what is uh, ultimately, what do you think failed on that play? Well, I. I... I do like to be fair. Sometimes uh, they're there. And, and look, we never do this when the Eagles strike a big play. We never say, um, man, they had the perfect call for that defense. And, and they, the Steelers really did. They had Claypool in the slot against a in a spread formation against a cover two look. So McLeod, the safety there, uh, there's three receivers to the left side. So McLeod, as the safety comes over, he's got to play that middle 
receiver more because if that middle receiver just runs a straight vertical route, then he's going to be wide open. So McLeod's got to be over there, and that leaves Gary uh, alone there against the because they're they're in that cover cover look. Uh, that leaves Gary in the same range or realm of where uh, Claypool is going to be. And Jim, what we learned from Jim, that's what you asked, what did we learn? Uh, Jim felt like that he shouldn't have been a great he, – he wanted to keep them from not getting the field goal, right? That's why Gary was up there. He didn't want to give up more yards and give them a field goal. And then that enabled Claypool then to see that kind of cushion, put a double move on, and get wide open. Because some people are saying, well, why aren't you having Gary back more? Why is Gary up on the receiver like that who he can't keep up with? And Jim says, well, if I play him all the way back and have him take even bigger depth, then he gives up underneath and, and they keep the clock going and then they get the field goal. So that was Jim's mentality. I guess what we can look from that is is we can talk about, well, why did you have to be in, in that Defense, you could have been another one, but if they were in man defense, you probably would have had a similar type of matchup, right? And and that's where it comes about down to personnel. And Nate Gary, the stats are what the stats are. The quarterbacks, I believe, are 23 of 23 when targeting Nate Gary this year, which is an attri- – that's unbelievable. It's like yeah. the, a quarterback didn't even accidentally throw an interception. No. Just – by happenstance or just not complete the pass, it's amazing that every single pass target at Nate Gary this year has been completed for positive yards, uh, and that's where we're at. I uh, mean, you're, you're, it becomes personnel. Uh, okay, so I'm glad you brought this up because at what point is that demoralizing to the other guys in the room? Like, this guy is <laughs> 23 of 23. You know, he's out of place. Teams are obviously picking on him. They're obviously game planning for him. What do I have to do to get on the field? You know, like, doesn't that kind of bring down the morale of the other players in that room who are not getting an opportunity when this guy is constantly getting questioned and he's got to be getting on tape every week in that room going, all right, you were wrong here. Oh, you messed up here. Yeah, I mean, by the way, the real question is how demoralizing is it for Nate Gary to look at the stat sheet and know that he's had 23 (laughs) passes completed on him in 23 (laughs) attempts? That can't be great for his own morale either. But, I mean, Mike, I think what you're asking, though, is more of a characterization of the linebacker group altogether. If there was somebody that was better or somebody who was more accomplished, I'm sure the coaches would play him. Now, I I don't want to – Dismiss the idea that somebody else couldn't do a better job, maybe Sean Bradley, maybe Davion Taylor. But the the reason why Sean Bradley has played the, the small amount of snaps is he's a very late-round pick. He's not a super athlete. He's a smart, instinctive linebacker. But I think you've seen him in there more so to play the run because he's better in that uh, part of the game than the pass. And then if, and, and Davion – so Davion Taylor is an interesting conversation because – this is a guy who is all traded up, right? And he's got tremendous speed. So maybe, and I've seen some of his college tape, maybe in this case he gets beat by Claypool right at the uh, at the initial double move but has the closing speed to kind of get back there and break up that pass. So maybe in that one instance, Davion Taylor's athletic traits serve him better than Nate Gary. But that, that's just an assumption that athletic traits is going to change what you're seeing 
uh, is the problem with the linebacker position. As I said on the podcast, just because you have speed and just because you have traits doesn't make you a good football player or a smart football player um, or uh, a, a fundamentally sound or a technically sound football player. And we know that those are the issues with Davion Taylor coming out of college. He just doesn't have a whole lot of experience. So he may make a play for you in one area, but he might give up three or four other plays that are going to be you know, debilitating for you. You can argue that that 23 for 23 is worse than what we saw from Brandon Workman this year in the Phillies uniform. No, I mean, that's crazy. But, no, I, look, I, I wanted to go in the same direction when he started mentioning all these other guys. You know, at some point, Fulgham was a nobody, and if you told me in week one that Fulgham was going to play, I'd be like, oh, yeah, because that's going to work. And then he ends up being who he is right now, which is keeping us intrigued. I just feel you see the numbers. You mentioned the numbers with Nate Gary. You got to try something new. Whether it works or not, we, we'll wait and see. But as of right now, this is not working. You need to try something else. This reminds me a little bit, Hunter, though, of the conversations in years past where the front four rush isn't working, right? You got to blitz. You got to blitz. And then you look, go look at the numbers last year of Jim Schwartz blitzing, and it's like they were the worst blitzing team in the league as far as their ability to stop quarterbacks quarterbacks had last year i remember had a had a phenomenal qb rating against the blitz last year and then that's more because not because uh, of just their blitzing but you know does the quarterback know where the blitz is coming from i mean uh, does jim mix it up so to get back to the personnel yeah like i said maybe there's a chance that you can put somebody in there who gets like two or three more stops than Nate Gary, but that's also making it seem like Nate Gary is the only reason the Eagles gave up 38 points uh, in that, or that Claypool touchdown was the, the 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 game-winning touchdown when it was not. There were all sorts of issues on third down in that game. I mean, Slay had two ba- two penalties, one bad one, one I didn't think was on him. Uh, Jalen Mills got beat for a 31-yard touchdown and then had another one taken back on him, which might have been a phantom. So you can – you can uh, what's they say? You can rearrange the furniture on the Titanic mm-hmm. uh, if you want, Hunter. But there, it doesn't address all of the issue. It doesn't address the big hole in the boat. I, I would agree that, that that he's not the only problem. But would you agree with this? If I'm Greg Roman this week, and if I'm you know coordinating an offense against the Eagles, they're sitting in that room and they're saying, "Where's forty-seven? Yes, I agree. He's got the red circle around him. There's no doubt about it. And you know, again, though, if they had, if putting Sean Bradley in or putting Davion Taylor in, if that made a huge difference enough to that to stop the bleeding, I would advocate for it, and maybe it would, and maybe they will. We'll have to go and see because sometimes they have done these; they've made changes. Maybe Alex Singleton. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the play I tweeted out earlier. Ben, ben Roethlisberger avoided like a sack three times, rolled to his right, threw to his left in Pat Mahomes fashion. And somehow Eric Ebron makes this like falling behind the shoulder catch on that pass for 17 yards. And Alex Singleton was right there with Ebron the whole way. Ebron catching it was not because Singleton played poor defense. It was just one of those, the quarterback makes an amazing play, the tight end makes an amazing play. So maybe Singleton is a guy who becomes your dime linebacker or when you're in that kind of cover look that they gave – for Claypool there, he's your low line. Yeah, I'll tell you what, in the limited snaps I Eventually, Mike, the red circle goes around Alex Singleton. Possibly, but in in the limited snaps that he's had, I feel like he has the instincts at least to 
make a play. He covered, got an interception. I saw him make a couple of tackles in the San Francisco. He had 15 plays. He made two tackles at an interception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, look, guess what, Gary? Sorry, I'm going to give this guy an opportunity. Let's see what he has. He can't be any worse than you. Let's see what he has. You know, and maybe you'll see that on Sunday. And then if that may, you know, a lot of games are one or two possession games, right? So to go back to your point, that game against the 49ers was a very close game. And Alex Singleton getting that interception and taking it back, even though it was thrown to him, uh, wound up being the difference in the game. And so maybe that's the case. You know, I have a feeling on Sunday against Baltimore, you're going to need a little bit more than, than one good play from a linebacker. Uh, and we'll see what happens. But there's a, there's a, there's definitely some merit to what you're saying. I just don't know that it has the widespread impact that you would want a promotion or a demotion to to reap for your team. Um, I just think it's more of an illustration again about the difference between devaluing linebacker and destroying it altogether. At that, at the beginning of last year, the Eagles weren't great at linebacker, but their two main linebackers were Camus Grugier-Hill and Nigel Bradham. And while none of those guys are winning any All-Pros or Pro Bowl awards, they're competent linebackers, or at least they were last year. We know Nigel was on the decline. I think Camus was playing for the Dolphins. They they were just better altogether than what you're putting out now, and they just really never did anything after Jatavis Brown decided to retire to give themselves some help there. You mentioned the word impact, and I'm trying to think, okay, well, how can we make this team better? Who can impact it? Will Parks, what's the status on him, and how much of an impact can he make? Yeah, I mean, he's been activated from the 21-day window. He's going to be at practice. We'll see. The weird thing is when you're in that 21-day window, they don't necessarily have to put on the injury report what you're doing. For example, Vinny Curry was not on the injury report at all last week because he wasn't technically on the, on the I guess, the 53s in that activation window. So without the benefit of watching practice or seeing the injury report, we may not even know if he's full, if he's limited, or what he's doing. Even if he's doing something, I mean, I think it's kind of unfair to expect after seven weeks, after seven weeks, that he's going to just step in there and be able to, you know, play twenty to thirty snaps a game. So I, I'm, I think this is not the week where you think Will Parks can help be your savior. Maybe uh, the week after when they play the Cowboys, you get to see a little bit more. What are you playing Jenga? No, it's my my daughter. She's uh, playing with a um, a little car, you know, rolling it around. Oh, all right. Thought maybe uh, you pulled out the piece of wood and the whole thing came crashing down. Something like no, that. No, but that that would be a nice microcosm for the day I'm having. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Jeff Mosher, football four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I want to get your take. Then uh, we know that that position is a big problem. Uh, your take on Fulgham. Everybody seems to have an opinion on whether he can play or not. Is he a part of their offense regardless? Because the way I see it is if they get Jackson and Jeffrey and Rieger and Goddard back, that leaves snaps out for somebody, man. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I say the same thing with Jeffrey, who's barely been able to practice, right? He was supposed to practice last week, then he had the, the foot, then it, then it was he was sick, then it was he was sick and a foot. I mean, he's going to get out there and practice this week, but he's no way near 100%. And if Deshaun can play – which you would like to think he could, then at least you can stick him at the other end at the Z and have Fulgham be your X. There's no way they're pulling Travis Fulgham off the field. Just like I told you guys last week, even with J.J. Arthago Whiteside back, there's no way that Fulgham is not going to get the opportunity to make plays, even with Alshon back. That's, it's just not going to happen. This has got a young player who's earned the confidence of the quarterback. He's healthy. 
He's got nice size. He runs well. Apparently, the scouting staff um, liked him coming out of college, so they had some background information on him. Uh, there's just they're not going to like just relegate him to the bench all of a sudden because Alshon is back and can play a little bit. This is a kid who's could factor into their future plans. Yeah, speaking of the offense with Carson Wentz, this kind of ties together everything because I thought the offensive line, it wasn't a big help with the run game, but that ties together with Carson Wentz. I feel with him and Fulgham being able to move the football down a couple touchdowns, they were able to go on drives, and I feel that you know, being so one-dimensional at that point in the game, because Sanders didn't get much going other than that one touchdown, how impressed were you with Carson Wentz? And you can throw Fulgham in the mix as well, but specifically Carson Wentz being so one-dimensional, being able to move the football. Uh, I was really impressed. There was a – watching the tape the last two days, there was a drive. I think it was their third possession where Carson targeted Fulgham, I think, on six straight plays. So yeah. that just shows you the type of uh, confidence that he had in him. And I think four or five of them were catches. The other one wasn't his fault. It might have just been uh, a throwaway because of pressure. But he clearly likes the kid. the kid. The kid runs his routes really well, and Carson – doesn't have to worry per se about, oh, he's got to be open. He can throw it to him in, in uh, contested catch situations, and he knows where in the zone that Fulgham can run and, and kind of sit down to make a play. He had a nice reception on the along the right sideline. I think it was on a, a long third down where he just, you know, ran his pattern and ran to the out and sat down between the safety and the sixth floor and made the pass. So I, I'm impressed with both of them. I think that there were even a couple of plays that we saw in the Fulgham was open and Carson did. So it's amazing to think, but uh, he had 153 yards. It could have been even more if Carson had seen him on there. So it, I like the way the, the offense in that regard evolved, guys. But I do think that one thing we learned about the Steelers uh, is that while they have a tremendous front seven, their cornerbacks aren't that great. Hayden had a bad game, um, gave up a lot of yards and some cushion, even when the Steelers were getting pressure. When you talk about the Ravens, you're talking about a different kind of animal. They, they may not have the caliber of pass rusher as, say, Dupree and Watt, but they're a more stout front seven. I mean, they really can overpower you up front, and their corners are legit. Marlon Humphrey, who the Eagles, I believe, passed on when they took uh, Derek Barnett. Marlon Humphrey has been an excellent cornerback, and I don't think that those wide-open lanes for Fulgham uh, are going to be as as prominent this weekend. So it's uh, to, to think that he can do another – 10 for 153 against that defense is not not fair and shouldn't be expected. But that means, as you just mentioned, whether it's Miles Sanders or somebody, somebody else is going to have to step up and make some plays. Uh, Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, don't forget the Inside the Birds pregame show. Trey Thomas is a part of that show. I'm interested uh, if you've got a chance to talk to Trey and, and, and you know what he's thought about Mayalata and whether or not Mayalata has a shot to stick there and what happens to Peters once – my, you know, if they like Mayalata, why would you take him out at this point? Yeah, no, we've we've talked about Mayalata. Um, he did a nice little breakdown on his uh, YouTube channel again of the of the offensive line yesterday. There are some things that are, are concerning, obviously, with Mayalata because he's still very raw. Uh, one of the things is that he tends to um, let the the pass rusher get his hands on his on Mayalata's chest before Mayalata can punch. Uh, it's called the double underhanded hooks. And you'll, you'll see that um, some instances where a big man who's 350 pounds is still being driven back by the pass rusher because he's allowed the rusher's hands to get into his chest while he's taking a vertical set. So using the momentum against him right up into the quarterback. But aside from that, he is holding his own very well. And I do think you have to keep giving him the opportunity to grow. And so when JP comes back, 
you know, the one guy who stood out who's just not playing well is Matt Pryor. Um, he's just, you know, you saw Miles Sanders not do well. There weren't a whole lot of lanes, and a lot of that was just Matt Pryor is not moving anybody back. So you, you wonder, and this is just something that Adam and I speculated in the podcast that's up this morning, would you consider just keeping my lot of a tackle and then putting Jason Peters right. back at right guard where you were originally intended to kill one play? It's a lot of money for a right guard. He really played that pretty well. Uh, Jeff Mosher, <laughs> the Inside the Birds podcast. We'll leave with this. Carson Wentz, uh, 57% completed passes. Does that tell the story, though, of how well or maybe he didn't play well? What did you think on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still a mixed bag with Carson. I know the the, the 29 points looks good, and it feels like the offense is rolling, and it's doing a little bit better week by week. You know, we had Ron Jaworski on uh, Inside the Birds TV yesterday. It's, it's up on our YouTube channel now. And he said, look, Carson's playing better in the rhythm offense that started in San Francisco has clearly helped him, but he's still sailing passes. For whatever reason, his connection with Zach Ertz is just off right now. And a lot of people are down on Zach Ertz, but you have to realize a lot of these throws, he's throwing Ertz are hot. For whatever reason, he's, he's skying them and sailing them. Even to Fulgham. Fulgham had to jump up and catch a few of them. He just happens to have that kind of tight and athleticism to be able to do that. Um, he's got to – they definitely have to get back on track with Ertz. And then there's still this issue of not seeing the entire field clearly. There were about four or five spots during the game and watching tape that I noticed that there was an open receiver and Carson just for whatever reason did not want to pull the trigger. And it's not like it was a, a scrub player either. There, you know, guys were out there playing. So um, I, I, I not fully back. I think that, that completion percentage shows you that he's he's still got some work to do before he's kind of like a Carson that can single-handedly engage. Real quick, uh, do you think they will consider and should they consider moving Ertz if uh, there's a deal to be made? That's a good question. I guess that so the deadline is what November third, I think, yeah, and coming up. Yeah, so how many so how many games between the, now and that? It's like four games, I believe. Uh yeah, you have one, two, three games. You got two one Ravens, oh, Giants, Cowboys. All right, so let's say let's say they lose to the Ravens. Because you have a you have a buy in there. Yeah, but win one of two against the Cowboys and Giants. They're, they're gonna be in it. You know what I'm saying? Like they they want to against lose every single game between now and the deadline, I would think and even then they still might be in it, but then you're looking at a, what you're, you're like one six and one or one seven and one, and you're thinking it doesn't even matter if we make the playoffs with five or six or seven wins. We're just not good, and we need to start thinking about the future. Then maybe that that conversation comes up. But you know, if they can win two games somehow over the next few weeks, then you're you're, you're sta- a little bit more stable. You're closer to five hundred, and I don't see them having a fire sale and getting rid of a guy if they feel like they can build on. All right, Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds podcast. Make sure you check it out. It drops this morning. The new one will drop on Friday morning and the Inside the Birds pregame show. And, of course, every day, football at four right here. Tomorrow, Adam Kaplan is here. Jeff will be back on Friday as uh, we get you ready for Eagles and the Ravens. All right, Jeff. Ready for Eagles and the Ravens. All right, Jeff, man. Take care, bud. All right, back to my Jenga game. Take care, guys. (laughs) He, like all guests, appeared via the boardwalk. Honda Hotline. This guy texted and said, uh, does he know the construction workers in the back are really loud? 
It wasn't construction workers. It was his daughter playing with the car. Yeah. We oh. Well, we heard her on the break before we got him on the air. She was playing around in bed. He was like, hey, I got to do this. We told her to go outside. Yeah. Said, Take the dog and get outside. I, I think he went with him. <laughs> no, I mean, he sounded outside. He got the wind going a bit in the speaker. I don't know what was going on there, but uh, hey, good information. Definitely. 4.30, Sports Bets. Ask Mike and Broads brought to you by Prop Swap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. I'd love to know what the Rays were at the beginning of the year to win the series. Can I get that ticket on Prop Swap? Because they're winning this World Series. I think they are, too. Damn. You know what's funny? Baseball is clearly dying to see a Dodgers-Houston Astros World Series. They're going to get Rays Braves. Not that the Do- I'm not writing the Dodgers off, but you're going to get Rays Braves when you can have Houston and the Dodgers. Like, the storylines, for us, we both love it. But the general World Series vibe, it's killer. You know? Rays is definitely not the team they want. I think the Rays are one of the smallest markets in, in baseball. Of course they are. Nobody cares about them. But for baseball fans, if you love the sport and you follow the sport, you're, you're kind of pulling for them because it's tremendous. It's got tremendous excitement for baseball fans. It doesn't intrigue the outside world, which baseball obviously needs to intrigue the outside world to get the ratings. You know? So um, let's start here with some questions. Ask Mike and Broats. Mm-hmm. Marty. Marty <laughs> McFly. I watched uh, Back to the Future. How was it? Two and three the other night. Now, how long has it been since you watched it? Because I think that adds tremendous value. Haven't seen three years. Okay, I mean, and I've only seen three a handful of times. Two. I think we're living in it every single day, actually. <laughs> but I actually saw it for the first time in a while. And I haven't seen one in quite some time. Yeah, I haven't seen the series in a long time. Yeah. Two's all right. It's like you're watching one again. Right. With just, like, other stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Well, anyway, it's not Marty McFly. Just Marty. Could be. Any chance Howie is fired after the season? I think no. I would say yes. Really? If they are two and two... 12 and 1, um, or 3, 12 yeah, and 1. I got you. The math is all wonky because yeah. of the damn tie. I yeah. get your point. If they're 4, 11 and 1. So I think if they're going to they're gonna make a change this year, right? And I don't think it's Doug. I don't think it's Wentz. I honestly feel just by default to shake something up because it's been the same for the five years since 2016. I think it'll be Schwartz. I think Schwartz will be fired right or wrong. To make the change, it'll be Schwartz. I'm glad you brought this up, okay? Because I just saw somebody tweet this out. All right, this is um, in the Jim Schwartz era, okay? Since 2016 with Jim Schwartz, the Eagles' defense. This is from uh, Elliot Shore Parks, okay? He covers the Eagles. Eighth in points per game. First. In playoff points per game, number one out of all the teams since 2016. They are fourth. You might crap yourself when you hear this one. They are fourth in the entire NFL. Third down defense. 36% of third downs they allow. Fourth best in football. They're eighth in sacks. Um, They are... First, number one in rushing defense. 11th in red zone 
defense. They are 10th in takeaways in the NFL. There you go. And you know what? I'm not shocked at all because I've been someone who has defended Jim Schwartz. It's not pretty. It's not appealing. It's not a super heavy blitz type package that he delivers all the time. But he's effective. It's an effective style that's not flashy and doesn't pop. I don't like the sticks that much. There are times where it frustrates me, but it works. You talk about the third downs. He plays the sticks on third downs. He's clearly effective fourth. with it. Fourth best. Fourth. fourth best defense in the entire NFL, and this is not a small sample size. This is since 2016. So you're talking about 16, 17, 18, 19, and now parts of the 20 season. That's parts of five seasons. And, he, and Jim Schwartz isn't like a player where you're hurt and you're injured. He's the coordinator every game. Injured guys, non-injured guys, everything. They're first in rushing defense, fourth in third down defense in the entire NFL over a four-and-a-half-year span. And that's why the rushing thing stood out to me because when we did dive back, you are correct that a lot of that did seem to be the wide receivers. But I feel we're so accustomed to having such a lethal rush defense where we're stopping the run so much that even when it's just – it's good, but it's not great. It feels like they're not doing a good enough job, you know? Because we're just so accustomed to that. Being the best. Being the best. Yeah, I never feel like teams are going to run the ball on the Eagles. You're right. I do have that feeling like I'm not worried about rushing against the Eagles. It's the big play has always been the problem. The double move, the X plays, the over the tops. That's where the Eagles have had trouble, I feel, in the Schwartz era is they get beat on the big play. And even that's not really happening as much. Like well, last week, the guy had four touchdowns. Yeah, it's tough because we're talking about it after what happened. But that's why we're talking about big picture. Jim Schwartz is a, is good, but he's going to be the first one to go by default. Right. Well, that's why I'm clear. You brought that up, and I'm thinking I saw these numbers: eighth in points per game, first in playoff points per game. Okay. Everybody goes to well, he gave up 600 yards in the Super Bowl. Okay, but the two games to get to the Super Bowl, their defense got them there. They beat the Falcons, and, and their defense uh, gave up, what, six to the Vikings? They seven. gave up 11 to the uh, the Falcons and seven to the Vikings. Yep, and it's funny you brought that up because I was in a heated exchange with one of my buddies yesterday talking about Schwartz. He hates him, and he said, look at last year. Like, he's just horrendous. The last two years have been a joke. No, no, no. You, you just assume it was, but you're not actually backing it up last year, right? The well, Eagles most are, people don't do the time right. to actually research stuff. They just say what's like their knee-jerk, most recent old reaction. Right. Well, the Eagles last year almost won a damn playoff game with the 93-year-old Josh McCown because that defense allowed 17 points to the Seattle Seahawks. 17 points in a playoff game. That's winnable football, no doubt about it. Unfortunately, you got Josh McCown running on one hamstring, and that's just what happened. But to act like that defense was a problem, they did their job against Russell Wilson and that Seahawks team. Hey, two years ago, we had this conversation. We battled about the fact that, you know, the defense and they had the injuries and all this stuff. And I said, look, they're giving up about the same amount of points per game as they did the year they won the Super Bowl. Their offense was the problem. And as Elliot uh, tweets here, they have spent more money on the offensive side of the ball, and yet their defense is top 10 in all of those categories, top five in three categories, number one in two categories. Yeah, you don't have to convince me. I think Jim Schwartz does a hell of a job. So when we tell you guys that out there, all you Jim Schwartz haters out there, does that make you say, huh, you know, we always tell you, the Eagles don't exist in a vacuum. There are other teams, and I know the answer. I don't care what other teams are doing. 
Well, there's got to be context to things. The Eagles are the fourth best team in the league on third down. You might not like what they do on third down, but there's only three teams that do it better. So unless you want them to be number one in third down defense, they are one of the best five teams in football on third down in the league. They're one of the eight best teams in the league when it comes to sacking the quarterback. They are one of the best eight teams in the league when it comes to not giving up points. These are the key numbers, you know, that you look at. Third down defense, getting to the quarterback, and how many points you give up. The Eagles are one of the best in the league over the five-year span. I mean, you can hate Schwartz all you want and complain and complain and complain. I think they got other problems than who the defensive coordinator is. No doubt about it. And this ties perfectly into what Denny sent in to ask Mike and Broads. Stop making excuses for Jim Schwartz. This was actually <laughs> prior to us even talking about this. It, it just it, It's perfect. Now it's the lack of talent. Okay, well, even if that's the case, change the scheme. Malcolm Jenkins begged him to simplify the damn scheme. As far as the Super Bowl and all throughout that season, guess what? We had a top offense that put up points and made the opposing team one-dimensional to where our line could pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. No thanks to Jim. Our offense carried us and the D-line just supported. What a joke by Denny. No offense, to Thank you for... Chiming in to ask Mike and Broads, but come on. A couple more numbers from uh, that tweet. Since 2016, the Eagles' third down defense under Jim Schwartz. In 2016, they were 21st in the league. That team was 7-9. 2017, they were third. 2018, eighth. Last year on third down, they were uh, fifth. I mean, I would think it would be a mistake to get rid of Jim Schwartz at the end of the season. Now, to be fair, are there other defensive coordinators out there that could do a good job? Sure, I absolutely think that there is. But you have one. You have one. I don't th- it's his scheme works with proper personnel. Now, people will argue that you need to adjust. I-, I don't know what type of adjustments you make to make Nate Gary make plays, to make Jalen Mills coming off of that Liz Frank make plays. I mean, y- you just don't have the personnel. I don't know what you're going to dial up. I just don't know. But people do not like the Y9, and people don't like the fact that he doesn't adjust. Adam Kaplan says this all the time about Jim Schwartz. Everyone around the league knows what he's doing. Well, you know what's crazy? You give me those... He's been in the league for 20 years, may I add. The fact that everybody knows what he is going to do, and he gives you that type of production, holy hell is he good at what he does. Uh, Yeah, and one of the problems I think a lot of us have with this team is the injuries. The linebacking position, horrendous. I don't think there's a coordinator in this league that would raise their hand and vouch for these linebackers. Right? I do not think so. Right. Now, there's not one coordinator who would say, give me that group of linebackers. So, he's already behind the eight ball in that situation. Maybe maybe line- the uh, the team out in Calgary that played with Singleton played yeah. for. You think they'd take Gary? I'd probably No, but they'd probably take uh, Singleton back. Yeah. But... He's already got the worst group of linebackers in the league. And I don't know how they're even competitive with that with, when you're behind that. The injuries that they keep having in the secondary is outrageous to me. Over the three years, four years that he's been here now, five years, I can't believe how many uh, defensive backs that they've gone through here. Marcus Epps is not good. Nope, he's not good. Hopefully, Will Parks can do something. But it, it's tough. It's tough to ask someone to come in here and just be a guy that we really need Based off of him coming off of the injury like that, you know? I like this one. Uh, sounds like Schwartz should be the head coach, and you need to get a better offensive coordinator. Well, now he, so, okay, here's the thing with that. 
I do not think that he ha the traits that Doug Peterson has as a head coach. It's like the complete. Would you agree that Schwartz is a f is good at X and O, bad at the head coaching part of things when it comes to emotionally and being personal with your players? Doug Peterson, bad at X's and O's, has the personality and has the the coaching aspect down. They're like the complete opposite of what they're good at doing. I think we got to pour one out by the way for Andrew DeCheco. What happened here? Seventh round pick uh, Casey Tuhill claimed off waivers by the Washington football team. Wow, add that. Add he's that a, to the list of the D-line. He's a big Casey Tuhill guy. Now, last night, it might have been this morning, I saw Andrew, De Andrew DeCecco tweet something out about the Sun Belt. I'm going to go back and look. I've never seen someone so excited for a Sun Belt game in my life. Yeah, here it is. I woke up nine hours ago. He tweets this out. It's a great day for some Sunbelt football. Yeah. Is he the only person in the history of the world to make that tweet? I respect his hustle, but I ain't juiced up for no Sunbelt game. Maybe Josh is. Is it on TV tonight? Well, it's Wednesday. It's probably on ESPN or something. You think he streams it on some random website? Maybe he has a package. He probably buys the Sunbelt conference <laughs> package. Yeah, Casey Tuhill, by the way, the Eagles' seventh-round pick. Uh, it's on ESPN, 7.30, the, the game. So, all right, we can justify watching it at least. I love it, though. I love it. Yeah, He's great at what he does. All right, uh, we got anything else? Yeah, we do. We do. Le'Veon Bell. Should the Eagles go after Le'Veon Bell? This is from Travis. If he wants to come on, like, some veteran prove-it deal, sure. He's another weapon that you could use in the slot, but... Look, you're already getting overcrowded with the kid Fulgham. How am I going to use him? What am I going to do with Jackson's back? What am I going to do with Alshon Jeffrey's back? What am I going to do with Rieger? I know people are like, dude, these guys aren't any good. But, all right, they've all kind of deserved to get on the field. Right? Ward deserves to play. Fulgham deserves to play. You're not going to sit Jeffrey. You're not going to sit Alshon. What you needed was a guy like even like Carlos Hyde, Freeman, the names we talked about in the offseason. That's what you needed behind Miles Sanders. Getting Le'Veon Bell... I just don't see how that fits. I don't see what type of money he's going to get. I don't see with the salary cap problems. I just don't see a natural fit here in Philly. It's just your standard obnoxious when a big-time name gets out there, how he has to go get him. It happens all the time, right? Every time a big name goes out there, oh, we got to go get him. No, it doesn't make any sense. Always. Anytime a recognizable name gets released or is gone, then yes. Um, the Eagles fans are always kind of like, and and typically the Eagles are always kind of tied. Now, Peterson was actually asked about Le'Veon Bell today, and it was funny. He kind of got a little snippy about it. He kind of said, I'm comfortable with what we got. And he insinuated, he's like, I'm excited about Miles Sanders. I got to get Boston interjected into this system, getting Corey an opportunity it's a situation where I think we found our third down guy, our three down guy in Miles. So he has kind of admitted now that Miles is like his three down guy. So uh, he kind of said, no, we're not. Doesn't sound like they're all that excited about uh, adding uh, or, or being in the Le'Veon Bell sweepstakes. Can Corey Clement play anymore? Or? I just feel like he, he shouldn't even be a big part of this team. I mean, yeah. he should just be. Whatever he is, get a carry here, get a, give, him a, give him a quick... I feel when he gets the ball, he just runs into six people and then gets tackled. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, when he was utilized a couple of years ago, 
And you talked about this with Miles Sanders. He was used as a guy you can be in the passing game as well out of the backfield, right? I mean, you saw a lot of plays where he'd have some wheel routes. You could throw him the football. I haven't seen anything close to that. No, he doesn't have that same, like, you know. Pop, that, that speed burst. No, but, I mean, he really shouldn't have that big of a role. He should have, like, three, four carries if that a game. I mean, he's really there in case Sanders gets hurt and you need to press him in the duties. This should be Sanders and Boston Scott getting catches out of the backfield. Maybe a Boston Scott change of pace carry here or there. It's the way they should be used. That that There's no reason, you know, to uh, to really have anything in the game plan in for Corey Clement. He should be, like... If somebody gets hurt, you got to go play. Other than that, I got nothing for you. Sorry, bud. Here's the uniform. Stand on the sideline until we need you. All right, that's Ask Mike and Bro. It's brought to you by Prop Swap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at propswap.com. We got uh, Find Five Ugly Five. Who's in? Who's out? Five weeks in. We'll tell you all that coming up. Six. South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Uh, we got uh, baseball playoffs tonight. You can hear them right here on 97.3 ESPN. That's a double dip for you. The National League game will pick up at 7 o'clock, and then it'll lead you right into the American League game. Rays and Astros, that series three games to nothing. The Rays are leading. They are one game away from getting back to the World Series for the first time since 2008. It's taken them a while, but here they are. Phillies have not sniffed the playoffs since, uh, well, the World Series. They got back in 2009. I don't see them back there anytime soon, do you? Nope. Although I am seeing some numbers being spit out there. Now it's just social media. Take it for what it is. But JT could be getting a lot more money than maybe we thought it was going to even be. We'll see, though. I think there's, uh, I think, uh, who was it on the show that brought up the fact that the, the high-end guys are still going to get their money. It's going to be the low-end guys and the non-tender guys and all that kind of stuff that are going to start getting squeezed. Right. Now, I thought even in the beginning of this whole COVID thing that there would be a ton of impact. Like, a lot of these big-time players would be impacted. But once I saw Mookie Betts and I saw that he was getting his money, uh, I thought, all right, that's all over. I like this. Hey, John from Cape May, he says, uh, how many third downs total are they going off of? Because the more third downs, the better the percentage. LOL. Well, they got five years worth of third downs. Yeah, it's plenty of time. What, what do you mean? That, yeah, I mean, it's been five seasons. He's done a hell of a job on third down. Since 2016, all the third downs over the whole season. That's for every team in the league. Like I like how we're trying to find ways to make your narrative fit. They're the one of the best teams in the league on third downs. Why does it matter how many third downs? We told you since 2016. That's five years worth of seasons. I don't even necessarily agree that more third downs mean you're in a better position to stop them. You're in just as much of a every time it's third down, you know, it's some unless it's third and fifty. It's if it's third and reasonable, which it most times is a, a reasonable spot on the field, you have just as much of a chance to allow the first down than you do not. There's a lot of people out there that think if you administer more tests, you're going to find more cases. <laughs> That's right. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> the more third downs, you know, if put it this way, if there's more third downs, you have a higher propensity to not give up. If your third down, if your point is, John, that their third down defense is not very good. If you had more third downs and you think they're not very good, that means they would be more successful. Correct. So that question doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense other than, hey, I really thought they stunk on third down, and I need a, f a way to fit my narrative. 
maybe it's because of the amount of third downs. No, it's five seasons worth of third downs between them and every other team in the league. So I would imagine, without looking at how many third downs every all 32 teams have, have had, they're probably all similar. And the Eagles are one of the top five teams in football over the five-year span on third down.